Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Superwomen with Rebecca Minkoff. I just wanted to clarify something because you might be sitting there going, I'm not a superwoman, but guess what? Everybody is a superwoman. Well, I should say every woman is a superwoman. Why? Because we go to work, we have jobs, we're entrepreneurs, we're wives, we're mothers, we're sisters, we're daughters, we're lovers, we're partners. We make babies and then we feed them. So if you're sitting here always wondering, hmm, I don't know if I am that, guess what? You are. This is just great stories from women who have built something out of nothing. And I love telling their stories and hopefully inspiring you to begin your journey so that I can tell yours. This week, I'm speaking to Bozema St. John. If you have not heard of her, man, she is a force of nature. I had so much fun hearing her story, hearing about everything that she went to to get to where she got. This week, Boz and I talk about inner strength, practicing optimism that creates the narrative you want, and advocating for others when they're not in the room. Take a listen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm with the incredible Bozema St. John. I love saying your name. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. So we met at Cannes. You almost stole a bag off another woman that happened to be mine. Yes. That was my first encounter with you. I don't mind asking for things, you know? That's a good thing. Like they say, ask and you shall receive. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't receive that day, though. (laughs) No, just a little bit later. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then... I got to work with you when we launched the Female Founder Collective. Yes, power. You were an incredible moderator. I've never been more entertained by a moderator, I think. Wow. And a panel. That is high praise. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I was trying to make it a little light, but, you know, we kept you getting did. laughs. You did. It was so, good. So, okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. Look at all these compliments. I'm feeling I gotta start it great. Off right. <laughs> thank you. Exactly. Then we go into the hard stuff. I'm like, oh. <laughs> There's been some episodes where people cry. I'm not going to lie. Man, listen, I'm, I'm open to crying. Okay. I think there's a lot of power in crying. So I'm okay with that. Okay. Yeah. So for my listeners who are not totally familiar with you, you don't have to give me the whole, like, I started here and I went there, yeah. but, like, give me a little bit of who you are, right. a little bit of little story. Ooh, okay. Well, I fashioned myself a badass. Yes. Because I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, I For work, I'm a marketing executive, currently the chief marketing officer at Endeavor, which is a parent company uh, that has companies like WME and IMG, who are, of course, talent agencies. Uh, but also own Miss Universe and the UFC and professional bull riders. For any who are interested in bull riding. Who knew? That's correct. I mean, listen, all kinds of stuff. Uh, But also work with, you know, different brands like Visa, Marriott, etc. So I'm in a big toy chest, it feels like, you know, from a marketing standpoint. I can, you know, work on strategies for fashion or for sports, or for music, or, yeah, for beauty pageants. And it feels really good to be in that space. Um, before I got to Endeavor, I was at Uber. I was the chief brand officer there. And you came at an important time. Ooh, girl. Let's talk well, you about could, that you could say You could say important. <laughs> Other people might say <laughs> disastrous. 
<laughs> yeah, there was a lot going on there, a lot of drama. So what small thing happened that prompted Ooh, you to arrive at Uber? Well, okay, so I was, I, before Uber, I was at Apple. I was the head of global consumer marketing for Apple Music and iTunes, and I was sitting very comfortably in my Apple offices. <laughs> Time to get uncomfortable. Enjoy, enjoying the view, you know? And uh, having had, you know, some some pretty good successes at Apple. And by that point, you know, I was I was pretty confident in my, not just my marketing ability, but also understanding pop culture and sort of temperature, you know, and what's happening. What are people talking about? I also happen to be a marketing nerd. And so I really like brand conversation and narratives and looking at, you know, what's trending and who's talking about what. And uh, in January of 2017, Delete Uber started to trend. And I was fascinated. I mean, you could not tear me away from that hashtag. Like, I was, I was fascinated. One, because I just found a very, there was a complex moment happening, right? Uber had been so praised as this, like, explosive growth company. And then in a moment, like, it felt almost overnight, it went to become like a vilified company. And then it became the poster child for everything that was wrong in corporate America. You know, whether it's sexual harassment or lack of diversity or, I mean, you name it, they were getting it. Uh, And I was really intrigued by that. So very, very long story short, I know Ariana Huffington, who sits on the board. And of course, over dinner, I was like, and then they should do this and they should do that and they should do this. You know, <laughs> and she was like, you know, thank you for your suggestions. Um, you should talk to Travis Kalanick, who is the founder and then CEO of Uber. And so I met with him again, just out of pure curiosity and just my obnoxiousness of like feeling like I could tell him what to do. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, but we really we, we kind of fell for each other. You know, it was supposed to be an hour lunch. We end up talking for eight hours. Wow. Eight hours. I mean, straight, like intense, too, because I was asking him all kinds of questions. You know, he was asking me questions. I was clearly giving him suggestions. And after that time, I literally went home and I was like, damn it, I think I got to go work there. Like, you know, it, like I liken it to falling in love. Right. You know, like, Damn sometimes, it, I like yeah, him I like her. him. Like, how did that mommy told me not to like the bad boy? But I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like that. Uh, but, you know, I went for the marketing challenge, but also the fact that, you know, it's really important to me that we address these issues of diversity, inclusion and women's empowerment. I'm a black woman. Both of those things are really important to me. Yep. And I don't know that there are a lot of people who have my seat or my platform or can have those doors opened. And I feel a responsibility because I do have those doors open and because I am at the table to sit there and cause action. Yes. And so I went and I was like, you know what? I'm here in my stilettos in Silicon Valley. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just felt like, you know what? Let me go in. Like, not only from a marketing standpoint, it was going to be fascinating to work on that brand, but also, you know, could I utilize my perspective to help incite change? And, so, then, and then what happened? Girl, it was so much going on. It was so difficult. You know, what the was job, the most difficult part? I feel like and what was, did you take away from it? Man, gosh, you know, here's the thing. The the truth is that, like I said, going in, I was super sure of myself, you know, like you couldn't tell me what I could or could not do in marketing. Like I was like, I'm the baddest. And 
there's nobody better than me. Right. And then I got my ass kicked. You know what I mean? Like I went in and I was like, oh, wait, hold on. This is this is this is a big problem. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I was using all my tricks and things and. You know, like I love narratives. You know, I love storytelling. And so it's like, oh well, I, I, I see this clearly. You know, we just we need to humanize this brand. We need to make people understand that drivers aren't like you know rapists and killers. That they're usually people who are trying to you know achieve. They're saving for their kids' college, or they're trying to buy a house, or. I don't know, something that we all understand. You know, we're all trying to do that. We're all trying to squirrel away a little money to do something. And I wanted to humanize that. I called on some friends, you know, for some favors to help storytell. I called Spike Lee, who was my first boss. No big deal. I mean, no big deal. But he, I mean, listen, that first phone call, he was like, oh, hell no. You better call somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, but Spike, you know, and it took a while. But then he agreed and he created these five beautiful short films, um, of course, of drivers from the Republic of Brooklyn, where he told their story, you know, in, in these many, many docs, which was just beautiful. I worked with LeBron James and Maverick Carter and their team at, uh, at Uninterrupted to develop a series of spots featuring athletes who, um, well, not just athletes, basketball players, because it was the start of NBA season. And there was so much talk about what athletes could say and not say. And, you know, the idea that in an Uber, which, you know, the average ride is about 20 minutes. So my thought was, well, you want to showcase the fact that like these are a safe 20 minutes where you can say anything you want. This is a safe space right here. And so LeBron convinced uh, Lonzo Ball, who was the hottest, you know, rookie at the time to do it. And, you know, a few other friends. And we recorded a whole bunch of spots, put them on air. And then he himself and Kevin Durant decided they wanted to do one right at the start of uh, or for the NBA All-Star game. And that was probably the moment I knew that, like, we had caught fire because he ended up, you know, talking for, gosh, man, it was probably three hours in that car of just everything that was on his heart, including the struggle of being a black man in America even a wealthy black man in America, what that means. Wow. You know, he has a house in Brentwood, which is, you know, a nice neighborhood here in L.A. And the N-word was spray painted on his on his gate. And he had to explain to his sons why, you know, and how that could happen. Uh, and he talked about that. He gave his opinions about the current administration and the president. And then there was some reaction to that. You know, a, a few journalists, one in particular, decided that he should not have opinions and that he should just shut up and dribble. She actually said those words. And then we went to town on that. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, so for me, it was it was a combination of, you know, the struggle at Uber, which was, you know, how to utilize the brand as a catalyst for current conversation. Right. Because literally the vehicle, pun intended, is to take people from one place to another which is a journey, and to connect one person to another, right? Like there's no other brand that actually physically does that. And so I felt like we could translate that. The challenge for me was that, you know, a lot of people weren't willing to hear that message uh, because there are issues with the product, because quite honestly, corporate culture was still a problem. I was having my own struggles corporately in the, in the rooms that, you know, I was supposed to be a boss in. So what did you, at what point did you say, wow, I'm talking, I know I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. These people are not listening. Yeah. I'm out. 
Oh, man. It was probably right after the All-Star game with LeBron. Okay. You know, the la- the sound was so loud. The reaction was so loud around his statements, you know, and I was really proud. I was really proud of him. I was proud of us. I was proud of the platform for being a space to be able to do that. But, you know, we couldn't we couldn't tell that story big enough. You know, internally, there was not enough support for it. Uh, because part of it, which is natural, there's a lot of fear, right? Uber had been beaten up so much. It was like, well, why do you want to get into a fight that has really nothing to do with you? And I'm like, no, it has everything to do with us. It has everything because we're talking about culture and we're talking about what is happening in a world that actually involves all of us. This is not about black people. This is about everybody. And, you know, there was just some difference of opinion. And I was like, well, you know what? Fine. I'm going to go create narrative somewhere else then. It was deuces for me. (laughs) You know, but ain't no hate. You know, I'm not mad at it. I'm like, listen, everybody's got to come around. Yeah, but I think it's refreshing that you're like, listen, these people aren't going to change. And rather than butt your head up against a wall and have low morale, like just go somewhere and use your badassery there. Honestly, but it's the lesson, I think, for all of us, you know, and especially when I talk to young women who are in their career, who are struggling in their workspaces or just try and find their footing. You know, I'm like, there comes a point, and by the way, I don't know what that time is. I can't tell you, well, do it for six months and then see. Like, I can't, there's no way to prescribe that, right? But we've all got to understand our own bandwidth. You know, there, not everyone can jump into the fire. Not everyone could look at the situation at Uber and say, I'm going to go. That's not meant for everybody. And I, by the way, I don't judge anybody who says, you know what? Nah, I can't do it. <laughs> you know, there's no judgment. But I felt like I could, you know, and I endured it for a year. Made the marks that I could. And then realize, you know what? I think my talents will be better served elsewhere. And where did that strength come from? Because I feel like so many people would be at a company and they'd mm-hmm. be like, I've only been here for a year. Yeah. It'll look bad if I leave. Where did you uh, where'd you come? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my reaction to that, I'm like, oh, hell no. Who cares what it looks like? <laughs> Who cares? Like, I, I, I don't know how to answer that question because I feel like, again, there are Actually, maybe I do know how to answer that question because, you know, we have this life that we're living and maybe because of some of the experiences I've had personally, you know, I've been through some tough shit and I don't want to waste my time. Right. I really, I don't like, it is the, it's my, probably my biggest pet peeve. I do not want to waste my time. Yep. You know, people always ask me like, how do you get things done? Oh my God, you're here, you're there, you travel, da, 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 da. I'm like, I'm in a hurry. You know, I'm living this life urgently. I want to cram everything in. There's nothing I want to leave undone, you know? And so when I'm in a situation like that for work, where like I bring everything to it, you know, I'm I'm leaving my blood, sweat, tears. And if I'm going to do all of that, then I want it to work. And if it's not working, then I'm going to waste my time. I'm going someplace else. You're getting out of there. Yeah. Hell yes. yeah. Okay. I love it. <laughs> You mentioned some of the struggles that you've had. Um, what are some of the challenges you've faced or struggles that you feel like have changed you and made you have different perspective? Oh, man. I mean, ooh, uh, so many, so many. I mean, this is, this is the incredible thing about this journey, you know, where it may look rosy. You know, there's, sometimes I get comments on Instagram. People are like, oh, you're so lucky. You know, your life looks so good. And I'm like, if you only knew. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which I do share, by the way. I'm not, I'm super transparent about all of it. I don't, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the struggle. I'm not ashamed of the pain. I'm not ashamed of vulnerability. 
But there have been a lot of challenges. I mean, some of them are super early on. You know, my family moved around a lot when I was a kid due to a lot of different things. But, you know, being the new kid where you have a difficult name, maybe you're, you know, look different from everyone else and figuring out how to overcome those, you know, obstacles of trying to reintroduce yourself and having people see you for the fullness of yourself instead of just the skinny, tall black girl from Africa, you know, that all of that taught me about figuring out what the connections are, you know, the similarities between us instead of the differences. You know, we, it doesn't matter who the person is. There's got to be one thing that you've got to have that connects, you know, in this human existence that we're in. Like you can pick the most opposite of people, you know, or what it looks like. And you can find one thing, I promise you, you know, so that has been one. And it's really helped me to not only have empathy, but to really find ways to connect with people, even when it looks like that ain't going to work, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then there's the, you know, the really sad stuff, you know, like my, my husband passed away from cancer uh, almost five years ago. and he was just it was just before he was 44 and we were at the height of what I felt like our careers and and life our daughter was four living in New York City we're both moving fast I mean wins 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 you know like it was just great and he uh was diagnosed in May of 2013 with Burkitt's lymphoma which is a rare cancer and unfortunately neither of us are strangers to cancer both of our mothers had Breast cancer, both survived. My mother was in her second bout of cancer with uterine cancer at the time when he got diagnosed and she'd had surgery. She was like in remission. You know, she was, she was doing well or getting well. Uh, and then he was diagnosed. And our first reaction was, well, what do we do? You know, what's the plan? Like, you know, there's surgery, there's radiation, there's chemo. Like, what's, what's the plan? And very quickly, his oncologist told us that there was not going to be a plan you know, that this was going to kill him. And it was the, I mean, I don't even have the words to describe what that moment felt like or what then the next few months felt like. But it is part of the reason why I live my life urgently, you know, because, I mean, within six months he was dead. And it was like, at one point, we would wake up every day and try to figure out what to do that day. You know, like something that we had not done before. So that, or or we maybe we'd done it before, but we wanted to do it again, you know, to remember it. Um, and it was just, it was really, it was really a life-altering experience, you know, to have to try and figure out what is the most important thing to you. Sometimes it's not the big stuff, you know. I think we think of that all the time. We're like, oh, you know, I want to go climb Mount Everest. Well, maybe that's not it. You know, maybe you just want to go eat some gelato. <laughs> you know, maybe you never tried that pistachio gelato before. Go have it. You know what I mean? Live like, on the edge, there yeah, with that pistachio You know, gelato. It's like, exactly. Live on the edge with the pistachio gelato. You know what I mean? Girl, I won't turn down some gelato now. You can forget <laughs> it. I'm like, give me the gelato. I'm living this life. So, I mean, there, there's, but there's a lot of things, you know, that have happened along the way that have changed the way that I look at the world or my own experience or how I live. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't pretend like everything is golden all the time. You know, my daughter is now nine, nine and a half. She's sitting here in the room with us, too. She is, and she's being so great and patient uh, and so cute. 
<laughs> but we, you know, it is also bonded us, you know, in a way that it's her and I, you know, and we are trying to live our best lives. We're living our best lives. And she's dancing. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for those listening, you clearly have an incredible amount of resilience and positivity. Yeah. Where do you think that comes from? Was it something that was just part of you or you yeah. forced yourself to yeah. become? I think some of it is natural. I believe I'm a natural optimist, but it's hard to remain optimistic when bad shit keeps happening to you. Totally. You know? Yeah. And so now I practice it, you know, very much like anything else. Maybe it sounds silly, you know, affirmations and stuff, but I find it really helpful, you know, especially, well, yeah, especially the days I don't feel great. But even the days when I wake up great, you know, I, you know, that day when you wake up and you're like, got a little pep in your step. Yeah. I still look in the mirror. I'm just like, you're just the baddest. Like, girl, you better go out there. You know, like, I, I do hype myself up. Or it's like, especially when I'm going into a situation that I'm unsure of or I feel uncomfortable with or, you know, because usually I enter a room when, especially when I'm like the only or the few or whatever that thing is. And I know it's going to take a minute for people to get used to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because this is a lot. I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot. <laughs> and so I have to, you know, talk myself up and walk into the room like I own it. Yep. And so some of it, yeah, some of it I think is is part of my natural way of being. But I do practice it because Lord knows those voices in your head, you know, will sometimes get you real down. Yeah, you got to push those to the curb. Yeah. They do not get to come live the gelato life. No. Okay, come on, the gelato life. Yes. (laughs) Hashtag. Hashtag the gelato life. Yeah. So you talk about diversity mm-hmm. um, and you talk a lot about white people having to be the change to encourage diversity. Yes. Talk yes. to me about this. Oh, my gosh. It's so important. You know, for a long time, I would be asked the question about diversity, inclusion and what to do about it, blah, blah. And I would speak directly to people of color, you know, and say, OK, well, we've got to do this. We've got to do that. This is what I've done. This is what I've done. But that is nonsense, you know, because honestly, the challenge with asking the people who are the suppressed and who are the minority in situations is crazy. It's like fighting the tide. It's it's almost impossible. Like, how is there going to be a win? And to me, I'm like, hey, listen, white people created the problem. White people should fix it. <laughs> you know, it's like there's there's responsibility there. You're not absolved of the issue, you know, and especially white men. When I look at our corporate cultures, I'm like, you know, there's nothing wrong with going into your workspace. And by the way, this is not just about being the boss or like the CEO should do it. You know, like looking up at the top and say, well, what are, what are our diversity processes and rules? No, don't do that. Like, don't wait for that. It's like, go into your office, look at your team. If you're the one in charge, look at it carefully and honestly. Nobody's pointing fingers. Nobody be in the room with you. You know, you don't have to report back. But it's like, look at the office, look at the room. And if it looks too white, <laughs> change that. Can you tell that. me what looking too white you looks like? You know what I'm saying? Like? There's too many white people in the room. Oh, that's what that looks yes, like? Yes, that's what okay. it looks like. Good if there's know. 10 people in the room and 10 of them are white, there's too many white, white people. Okay? It's, if there's eight people. clarified it's Clarified. If there's eight white people, too many white people in the room. You know, can we just, like, let's match the population at least. You know, let's let's try that. Okay? Now, if you are not in charge, I still feel like there's no absolution. You know what I'm saying? You've like you've got to then go to your boss. 
So you know what? I looked around this room. There's a lot of white people up in here. You know, let, let's figure out how to change that. And then the other thing that, like, always makes me laugh and is that— And if you don't see boobs in there, too, right? Ooh, yes. Boobs. Boobs. <laughs> yes, if you don't see boobs. Now, we don't tell you to look at the boobs. Don't, you know look, at don't look at the boobs. You can you can see if there are boobs without really looking. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's that look, don't look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, don't look. Exactly. It's like when someone's maybe pregnant. Yes, like, exactly. I look, don't you look. You kind of, like, just notice, yeah. okay? <laughs> yeah, boobs also very important. But it's so funny because I always find it hysterical when, you know, something happens and it's like, you know, about people of color. And people are like, oh, I'm not racist. I've got black friends. I've got Latino friends or whatever. And I'm like, that's fantastic. Now, where are these black and Latino friends when you've got a job opening? Where are they at? Did you call them? Because you didn't call them. <laughs> where are they? Like, wait, call some black and Latino friends. You got a job opening? Call them. You know? So I'm like, listen, yes, PSA to white people. Call your black and Latino friends. That's going to be and the title your friends of this with episode. Boobs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love it. Oh, my God. So you're also an incredible advocate for women. Yes. How important is your circle of friends? Oh, my God. My sisters. Ooh, gosh. I love women so much. We're so dope. We're so dope. It's like we just, we can do everything. You know, we're cool. We're cute. We can have kids. We can, like, multitask. We can nurture. We can cry without shame. We can sashay. We can have power. We can, like, we can... Till a freaking farm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like we've got, we can do everything. Yeah. Like, literally, there are things men cannot do. No, but we could do it. We could do everything. Like, men can till a, a farm. We can till a farm. We can have babies. They can't. You know what I'm saying? There's so much power in it. And I find that my sister circle are the ones who keep me motivated. You know, they're the ones who call me and big me up. You know, my, my group text is, like, on fire. You know, and then also it's those are the people that I go to for the advice and the people I feel like I can also be vulnerable with because they understand that vulnerability. Yep. And so to me, it's like, you know, having strong women, not just in my friend circle, but in my workspace, you know, in, in every space I'm in is super important. And what's something helpful that you've done within your workspace to foster that? Oh, man. Well, a couple of things as as a business leader or as a, you know, a boss. Especially when we have group meetings, you know, when there are a bunch of people in the room. We've all been in these situations or some most people have been in these situations where you're sitting in the big room. You know, everybody, you know, there's always one or two loud voices, somebody who really wants to get heard. You know, their ideas are the most important. Uh, and you can always tell when there's somebody in the room who probably has a good idea, but they're not getting a word in. And I make it a point. To make sure that I'm like connecting with that person, eye contact, you know, kind of making the small gestures because I don't want to put anyone out. You know, I don't want to call on you if you feel uncomfortable, you right. know, so it's not trying to like make people feel uncomfortable. But I'm kind of giving the like, you know, whispering kind of like, do you have something to say? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that if that and especially women, I find that to be most often the case to give her a platform. Right. You know, especially because I'm in charge and I own the room. So for me, it's easy to say, excuse me, Justina, you got something to say? You know, Justina's actually a friend of mine. So I was going to say, is that a real person? Together. Yeah, a real person. Yeah. Well, Justina's not a quiet person, so that's probably a bad example. But if, she was listening, if she's listening to this, she's like, don't, you never had to call on me. <laughs> but, you know, like, I feel that each of us in our spaces can do that. Also, 
the best thing in work is to be the one who advocates when the other's not in the room. You know, we as women have a real opportunity to help each other out in the corporate workspaces by literally being our own advocates. You know, it's it's funny. I have a good friend, Anjula Acharya, uh, who I've worked with for a long time. She's never worked at the companies I work for. Uh, she's always worked outside. But she's one of those people who said, you know what, when I'm not in the room and you know it's something important for me to either be a part of a conversation, you talk about me. When I'm in the room and it's something I know it's important for you, I'll talk about you. You will not believe the amount of follow-ups that I've had from people who've been like, I heard that you did da-da-da-da-da. I'm like, oh, really? And by the way, they never say they heard it from Ange. But then later I'll be like, did you meet so-and-so? Did they tell you? And she's like, yeah, I told them that you worked on that, you worked on that. Like, it's just such an amazing thing. So helping each other, even in advocating for each other, is such a powerful thing. And I I suggest, you know, finding two or three people, right? Creating a pact. Yep, a tribe. Yes. And saying, okay, girls, this is what we're going to do. You know, here are my key attributes. How about three of them, you know, or three enormous things I've done or maybe things that, you know, I'm really proud of. Everybody make note, then make it an effort, like actually put effort in. Even when it feels like the conversation is not going that way, be like, you know what, my friend Brittany, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it, it really, really works. And we'll find that it then becomes natural. What feel, What probably feels a little awkward at first becomes really natural. Like I have no problem boasting about my friends. Like I really love it. Yeah. Yeah. What are some things about how you were raised that have made you into the strong woman you are today? Well, my favorite story is when I was like 12, 12 or 13, we had just moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado from Ghana. And just a little bit of a oh, girl. temperature difference. <laughs> I'm telling you. And by the way, it was like it was end of October. Oh, gosh. And I mean, what a shock. You know what I'm saying? I think it snowed like on the second day we were there. I was like, what the hell is that? Why? Why is this happening? Why is it so cold? <laughs> but, you know, we were we definitely stuck out. I mean, it's probably an understatement. You know, <laughs> we were we were definitely the strange family in town, you know, and my parents were I mean, are very proud of their heritage. You know, I think a lot of immigrant families, there's probably like a misunderstanding about immigrants, you know, in that most of the time they're trying to assimilate into the culture. They don't, you know, they they don't want to be different, right? They want to stop speaking the language. They want to stop, you know, stop eating the food. Like they just want to assimilate into the new culture and bam, be down with the people. My parents were like, mm, we really like America. We like living here. It's fantastic. We enjoy it. We want to contribute to the society. But we're also very proud of where we're from. There's nothing to be ashamed of, you know, even if it seems like Africa is like some weird, mystical, distant place, you know. But and despite the commercials on TV, it's actually fabulous. So I would go to school. Of course, like I said, I had some struggles, you know, connecting and making friends. But then once I did, you know, it was typical 12, 13, 14 year old life where, you know, you get invited to your friend's house, get, you invite them to your house. And my mom, oh, God bless her, she would insist on us eating our native foods when my friends came over and speaking our language. By the way, my mom speaks four languages, but she refused to speak English whenever my friends were in the house. I was literally like, Mom, I don't, why can't you just like, why, I don't know why I can't speak to them in English. Do you know how many times friends would be like, I thought your mom spoke English. Oh my gosh, is it really hard? Doesn't she understand? I'm like, no, she understands perfectly. She just, refuses 
Uh, <laughs> like, this is a choice. But the amazing thing is that it just, you know, underscored for me how important I am. You know, that I never have to tone down who I am to make somebody else feel comfortable. You know, she was going to make our pepper soup and she didn't care that I was going to burn your eyes out, <laughs> you know, when my friends ate the food. Like she was like, no, you go to their house, you eat pizza with your hands, right? They come to our house, they will eat fufu and eat and drink soup with their hands. What's fufu? Fufu. Oh, my God. So delicious. You'll come to my house. We'll have some fufu. Okay. I want some It's fufu. like a starchy, it's like a starchy ball mm. uh, made with like yam and plantain pounded together. Done. It's so delicious. Oh, girl. Yes. Have it with some soup. It's hot, though. Like I said, there's lots of pepper in it. So I have two, uh, actually three last questions. Two of the questions I asked to every one of my guests. I want the women and or men, I have a feeling it's a very small amount of men listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the women to come away with something actionable that they can do to get that pep in their step, to oh, take some yes. advice today. So any advice you'd want to give to our listeners? Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Well, I really love affirmation. I talked about it a little bit. You know, I think it's so important for us to affirm ourselves, to create the narrative in our own heads that will allow us to be our boldest whole selves, you know, in any situation. And so practicing that is really important. You know, I don't, I don't think anyone like, you know, is born with feeling like blah, 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 blah. I feel blah, blah, crazy and amazing, da, da, da. Because the messages in the world are so anti that, you know, we get so many other messages that tell us we're not good enough, not smart enough, not bold enough, not, 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 not. Right. You know, and so we've got to practice overcoming that, you know, and, and then being able to see that message and be like, no, what? Who are they talking to? You know what I mean? Like to be able to get that requires practice. And so why not start that and also lend that to a friend? You know, there's not one friend who I come in contact with when upon seeing who I'm just like, girl, that hair though, that eyeliner, woo, that cat eye today, you know, like we got to big each other up. And so, and maybe it sounds superficial, but I don't think so. I think it goes much deeper than that. It affects our whole, you know, our whole outlook on life. And so I encourage all the women who are listening to practice self-affirmation and then do it for your friends too. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, What would people be surprised to know about you? It can be embarrassing. (laughs) It can be uh, just a little secret you've been dying to let out of the I know, right? Dying to let out. I know. You know what? I think people would be surprised that uh, because I love fashion so much and I I love looking great. (laughs) And you do. Okay. Every time I see you. Yes. I love my lipstick. I think they'd be surprised to know that I still wear my college sweats. Like when I get home, the stilettos come off. I wipe my face off. You know what I'm saying? I put on my bonnet and I put on my college sweats, which, by the way, have a lot of holes in them. And But they're so comfy. Oh, girl, they are the best. They are the best. And I don't mind. You know, I really don't. Yeah. And so if you call me or video try to FaceTime me eh, around 830. Not picking up. You, no, girl, I'll pick up. Oh, okay. oh I don't mind at all. Oh, no, but you're going to be in the shock of your life. You know what I'm saying? So maybe it's, not, it's no longer a secret. <laughs> <laughs> for the few who have Phone's called, gonna blow up exactly. The few, the few who have called who've been like, "Oh my god," and I'm like, "Oh, is it? Is it that bad? Come <laughs> on, it's not that bad." I mean, that was so cute. <laughs> when I do that and I get home and I take the bra off, that's like oh, the first yes! thing. And my daughter goes, "Mommy, why are your boobs so long?" <laughs> oh my god! I'm like, well, they fed you and exactly. your brother. They're they still fed feeding you. your other brothers. They're long. Okay, they're long. Well, that's, that's what, what happens. happens. 
I it's mean, a, yeah, I love it. Give up. Yes. Long boobs. They're beautiful. Also. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been so fun. That was Bozema St. John. She is one whose name I love to say. I think what was awesomely refreshing about this conversation is she talks about losing someone that was obviously a huge impact in her life and how she remained positive and remains an example of her daughter. And as a mother to three, that was really, really insightful for me to hear. If you want to connect with Bozema, you can follow her on Instagram at badassboss. So we've been getting some pretty incredible responses, whether it's a review, this one's an email that I just wanted to share with you because it makes my day to open these. And I am on all the emails and I do read all your reviews. This one's from Emily Phillips. She says, can I first say thank you for such a wonderful and thoughtful podcast? You are so welcome, Emily. So many women entrepreneurs, especially in fashion, talk so much about women helping women and it's all smoke and mirrors. I agree with you. I was totally unaware of all of your pro-lady endeavors until very recently, but you were living it, sister. Thank you. Emily, thank you. That made my day, and I have a pep in my step. The next one I'd love to read is actually an email I received from none other than Rebecca Jarvis. She has an incredible podcast that I was lucky enough to be on, so if you haven't listened to it, please do. And she writes in, subject line, loving the podcast. Rebecca, just a note to let you know how much I'm enjoying Superwomen. Just finished the Cassandra Gray episode. Well done. Hope you're well. Thank you, Rebecca Jarvis. And thank you to all who have sent in your rating, your review, or your email. It keeps me going and uh, makes it worthwhile to do this podcast. Email me your thoughts, what you want to hear more of, superwomen at rebeccaminkoff.com or leave a review on the Apple Store or wherever you listen to podcasts. I am watching. Okay. Wait, what were we going to call it? It was like something about boobs. Was it boobs? Long boobs. Long boobs. <laughs> Two long boobs. That's the name of our show. <laughs> I love it.